For the most part, everyone here is familiar with David's great psalm, Psalm 139. And here is David reflecting upon the grandeur and the glory of God's person and the significance of God's person in relationship to himself and in this situation. And what we find in Psalm 139 is David was in a place of great difficulty. And 139 is really a prayer where David is asking the Lord to work on his behalf and to deliver him from the um, plans, plots, and deceitfulness of evil men. And in the midst of this glorious declaration of God's greatness, David also recognizes, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. To realize that he was an object of God's care and that God had composed and fashioned him in a way that is unique from all the rest of creation. I was thinking about the reality of being fearfully and wonderfully made. And while individuals would like to try to attribute it to pure chance over natural selection and so-called millions of years, the reality is the human body is filled with such intricacies that we can't even begin to intellectually, honestly believe that this is a chance occurrence. If we look at the human body, not only of what we can visibly see, we find that it's made up of some 11 different unique systems, all working together in harmony for the appropriate function of the body as you and I go through each and every day. We find also that this human body is made up of some 70 trillion, that's trillion with a T, individual cells. And those cells are working, they're living, they're growing, they're dying, they're reproducing, they're changing. And there's all these interaction between these human cells as the body carries on its daily function. There's electrical things, chemical things, physiological things, hormonal things that are all taking place in, sympath, uh, in syncretism to bring about things you and I never think about each and every day just the well-being and healthiness of the human body. Isn't it amazing, those individual cells? They have a period of time they live. They die. They reproduce. Marrow in the bone is making new red blood cells, and the red blood cells are doing their job to bring oxygen to the various tissues and parts of our body. If there has ever been a time when someone could say, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, beyond what David could have ever comprehended in his own day, it's the people of God today. The human body is a glorious creation of God. And God is at work sustaining, upholding, and enabling it to function each and every day. And what we need to understand is that as a Christian, 
as an individual that has been washed clean by the blood of Christ, that has been justified through the work of Christ alone and is now acceptable to God, God takes that individual and places him in the spiritual body, what is called the church, and what is known of or known as the body of Christ. And it might be composed of more than 70 trillion individual cells, all functioning and accomplishing a God-given, God-determined, God-designed task for the appropriate function of the body of Christ. We've been looking at the New Testament church. We have learned that Jesus Christ today is involved in a great work where he said, I will build my church. And in his work of building his church, it is not just that he is bringing individuals to himself, but he is involved in transforming and changing those who are the individual members of his body so that the body might function as it should to the glory of God. Over in the book of Ephesians, in the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul, in this profound theological treatise on the blessings that flow to the people of God in Jesus Christ, focuses on this theological truth. When we look at the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to the saints who were in Ephesus, The real theme that underlies all that he says here is the church as the body of Christ. And when we look at what Paul describes in Ephesians, we find that the real key prepositional phrase in this book is in Christ. The reality of the wealth of all that God bestows and gives to his people is in Christ. And in chapters 1 through 3, Paul describes the wealth that belongs to the people of God in Christ. And in chapters 4 through 6, which you will notice chapter 4 begins with the word, Therefore, in light of all the doctrinal truths I've told you about what God has done in ways of blessing for his people in Christ, therefore... Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And in chapters 4 through 6, the walk of the saints in Christ. How the body functions and what the body is to be doing. As we look at the reality for us as God's people, we saw that Paul laid down the fact that our um, participation in this glorious work of the body of Christ is the fact that God chose us from before the foundation of the world. That even though we were children of the wrath, even as the rest, God made us alive when we were dead. And that God has so worked that as individual members of the body of Christ, we are not only dependent upon him, but interdependent upon one another. And knowing that as we begin this relationship with God, as newborn babes, as immature children needing to grow, he gave gifts to the church, gifted individuals to the church as a whole, to what we could call the universal church, 
all those who are truly the members of the body of Christ. And these gifted individuals were apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. To do what job? To equip the saints, notice, for the work of service or the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. Now, as we look at this idea of having been gifted by God, the reality is that we have been given the important role or privilege of performing the work of service or the work of ministry. The word that is translated service in my Bible, in some American translations, it's translated ministry, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, is a word, and the easiest way for you to remember this Greek term has to do with one of the designated individuals or group of individuals that are to have a leadership role in the church. We're familiar with the fact that there are to be elders, but along with elders, there's to be what? Deacons. The decanos. And these are the individuals whose word or title is derived from the word here translated service or ministry. And it's a word which has to do with a specific set-apart function. It is used in the Old Testament to translate the work that was done by the Levitical priests and the functions that they had in the worship of God and in the operation of the temple, all as designed by God for his glory. And the real calling of God's people is to be involved in this uniquely specialized uh, item of service or worship of ministry. And these gifted individuals are responsible to be equipping all of us, that we might function the way God intended and God designed. Now, I want to pause for a moment because someone would say, well, that seems demeaning. That what God's called us to do is this work of service. Well, what I need to recognize first and foremost is that's part of our design as human beings. And whether I want to acknowledge it, recognize it, or accept it or not, every human being serves something and someone. And no matter how lofty and successful in the eyes of the world you may appear to be, you are still a servant. And you are either serving materialism and finding some kind of satisfaction in the things of this world, or you have a higher calling in life, and you are serving the true and the living God. What is demeaning is to say, all I am worth is living for the things of this world. What is demeaning is my inner self, my true self means nothing more than I am giving myself to success, material possessions, and things in this world. It's not derogatory and demeaning. For us to say that the calling that God's given us in the church is to do the work of service. The beauty of it is, as Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is what? 
light. I have been liberated from the drudgery, the mundane, and the weightiness of living for the things of this world. I never have enough. I always want more. And as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're either living for and serving mammon or materialism, or you're living for and serving God. And the calling of us as individual members in the body of Christ is the privilege of serving the one true living God. Equipping the saints for the work of service that we might have lives that bring honor and glory to him. And you recognize that that's going to be your eternal position as well. If you go to the last chapter in the book of the in the books of the Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 22, when it talks about the new heaven and the new earth and God's people are on the earth in the presence of the Lord and it says the throne of God and the throne of the lamb are in their midst. You know what it says after that? And his bond servants serve him forever. No higher calling, no greater privilege than to be one called out of darkness, to be delivered from sin and death, to no longer be engaged in the tyranny of having temporal things govern and control us, but to even now to realize as a member of the body of Christ, even the mundane and the temporal take on new meaning. They have spiritual value and spiritual significance. And as I live in this world, be it my relationships in my family, be it the things that I am responsible to do in my job, in my neighborhood, wherever I may find myself, all of our tasks take on spiritual, eternal significance. And we need to be equipped, reminded of that reality. The other thing that I want to be sure that we recognize when it talks about us being equipped for the work of the ministry has to do with our condition as newborn babes in Christ and our proper functioning in the body of Christ. And what arrested my attention is you'll notice Paul didn't say, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you need to find your spiritual gift. You'll notice Paul didn't say that if you're a member of the body of Christ, these gifted individuals need to give you steps to follow in order to become more productive Christians. We are so accustomed to doing what the Pharisees did and taking the commandments and the principles of men and trying to impose them on the word of God. What is it that these gifted individuals who are equipping the saints for the work of ministry are focusing their attention upon and where your focus and my focus needs to be as we function in the body of Christ? Into Christ like-ness. 
And the more Christ-like you are, the more beneficial your life will be in the well-being of the church and in the body of Christ. Let me go back to my initial analogy. If you are one of those 70 trillion plus minus cells that make up the body, those cells never need to take lessons on learning how to do the job they were created to do. And you want to know something? When it's not working the way it should, I don't care how hard you think and mentally, positively try to make your body work like it should, you can't do it. The reality is the body functions naturally the way it's to function. Can we learn the lesson when it comes to the body of Christ? The body will function the way it should as we focus on Jesus Christ and grow more like him in our very being. Notice how he says it. He gave these individuals for equipping the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ until what? We all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When Luther was being stirred up by God to become one of the great catalysts for the Reformation, to get people back to the word of God, he said, we need to get rid of all of these rituals we have people doing. And he was asked the question by his superiors, well, what are we going to put in the place of them? People need the rituals. They need the relics. You know what his answer was? They need Christ. We put Christ in the place of the relics. We put Christ in the place of the rituals. And if you are an individual in the body of Christ, what you need is Christ. When you look at the day that is before you and the obstacles that are there, fix your eyes where? On Christ and run the race that is set before you. What the body of Christ needs is a greater awareness and appreciation of the glory, the grandeur, the superiority, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And the body will be building itself up the body will be functioning naturally as it should as we become more Christ-like in our individual lives and being. Now, what are some of the particulars then for how the church is to operate if we're to function like God intended and so that we are fulfilling our God-given privilege and responsibility? Well, the first has to do with the idea of preservation. Preservation, not so much in making sure the church still exists. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. The church always needs to be refined and purified and revived, doesn't it? Because we have an adversary of the soul that is active and he's seeking someone to devour 
He's always at work to try to destroy the church. He's always at work counterfeiting and subtly bringing in falsehood. And if anybody has astutely studied the history of the church, they will find no matter how good any group, any individual, any entity begins, it always begins to compromise and subtly turns away from what the scriptures state. Now, the preservation he's talking about here is as he describes early in this chapter. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you. I beg you to do what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to what? Preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know what's characteristic of the world? They can't get along. You know what's characteristic of our time? If I have problems with someone, I just ignore it, turn my back on it, and move on to something else. And sadly, that far too often happens by those who profess to be God's people. Preserving the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It is the recognition that if I am walking worthy of my calling, if my life is a demonstration of the fact that I am the object of God's grace. If my life is a demonstration of the fact that although I was dead in sin, he made me alive in Jesus Christ. And he has richly blessed me in Christ Jesus with a wealth that is beyond my comprehension. If I am walking worthy of what God has done for me, first and foremost, I am seeking to preserve unity in the body of Christ. I need you. You need me. And far too often when things don't go the way we want to do, we go down the street and find somewhere else where we'll get together and worship. And we're not talking about whether or not people ever change their local church affiliations. But we're talking about the fact that what's really hard to do is to get along with people that may rub us the wrong way. And in the body of Christ, what God has called us to do is to get along with one another as we demonstrate that we're one of his. Seeking to preserve the unity of the faith. How do I do it? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Or if I look at the very last uh, verse of chapter 4, what does he say we should do? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, And what is the standard on how I am to forgive a brother who offends me? Just as God, for Christ's sake, 
has forgiven you. If God forgave me the way sometimes I have forgiven others, I'd be the object of his wrath. You understand that? The standard of how you would accept a brother who has offended you. The way you're to work when the Spirit convicts you that you've offended someone else is to do everything within your power to be reconciled to your brother. It is even a priority before we get together to corporately worship. It is even something that is of great importance when we gather around the Lord's table. Because while many times uh, 1 Corinthians 11 has been used and individuals say, you need to see if there's any sin that's within you before you partake of the Lord's table so you don't partake of it in an unworthy manner. The real emphasis that he makes there is you don't judge the body correctly. What body? The church. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're not reconciling those differences before you partake of the Lord's table of that bread, of that cup, which says we are one in Christ. And God takes it seriously. And that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, that's why some of you have died. That's why some of you are weak and anemic and no spiritual strength because we're not judging the body correctly. And the real thing I need to do as I examine myself as I partake of the Lord's table is to say, is there something in me where the Spirit has convicted me of wrongs I have thought, said, or done to someone else? Is there an offense someone has done to me that I'm holding it and harboring it against them? Or by God's grace in love, with real humility of mind, with that attitude of forgiving others even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven me, am I seeking to preserve the unity of the body? Boy, the evil one wants to stir up the body so it becomes splintered and divided. But my focus needs to be on recognizing the importance of being someone that is, to use a political term, a uniter instead of a divider that brings people together in Christ. Second, if the body is functioning as it should and I'm doing what God's called me to do, it's to recognize that as I become more Christ-like and I am equipped for ministry, I need to be a man or a woman of prayer. Paul ends this book with, you know, You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So the first thing you need to do is put on the full armor of God. Isn't that right? But then he summarizes all the things associated with all that God has given to his people, that they can stand in the evil day, they can hold their ground, they don't succumb to the temptations and the snares that the evil one is constantly throwing out there. With all prayer and supplication, pray for all the saints. 
God's people are to be concerned about the well-being of their brothers and their sisters in Christ and to be offering up prayers for their well-being and behalf. And the thing that ought to characterize us praying for them more than daily needs would be their spiritual well-being. If I just look twice, Paul offered prayer for the saints at Ephesus. And as he did so, both of them had to do with them comprehending the spiritual reality of who God is and what he's done. And they might grow and mature in Christ. It's praying for the body of Christ and that God would enable and God would strengthen. How about it when it comes to speaking to people who are outside the church. Sometimes something's laid on our heart and we ask that we join together and pray for so-and-so for their salvation. I don't want to minimize that we shouldn't be doing that. But when Jesus said the, the fields are white under harvest, what did he say we should pray for? Pray for the Lord of harvest to send out laborers. Because not everybody has the same task, whether it be in building up the body or edification or evangelizing individuals, that God would bring individuals into this wonderful, amazing, miraculous thing called the church, the body of Christ. I had to be praying that God raises up gifted individuals who will have an impact in our day to touch the hearts of individuals with spiritual truth. I need to be praying that God would do this work and give us the gifted individuals to accomplish that task. And the third would be our performance. Our performance. I think we can summarize it with what Paul said when he wrote to the church at Galatea, the Galatian letter. So while we then have opportunity, let us do what? Do good to all men and especially those of the household of faith. It means that our lives are devoted to being an instrument in the hand of God of bringing blessing and benefit into the lives of others, be they our enemies or be they our brothers and sisters in Christ. While we have opportunity, let's do good to all men and especially those of the household of faith. In a tangible way, it may boil down to financial contributions that are designed to further the gospel message. Isn't that how Jesus functioned while he was on the earth? He had groups that supported financially him and those associated with him. The same was true with the book of Acts and the activities of the apostles. And so you have individuals who were out ministering and you had others who were supporting them in their ministry. And in all of that, it's the recognition. You know, as, as Paul stated, and I think we need to be reminded 
because we all have the tendency to be over-impressed with our importance. Where he said, well, I planted, Apollos watered. Well, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Zeros. We are nothing. So we can be impressed with individuals whom we would call great leaders in the church and thank God for them. But God is the one doing the work through them. So the one who waters, the one who plants is nothing, but God is everything who causes the increase. And what I need to realize is like David did with the army when he went to war, the one who held the bags and stayed at base camp received just as much of the bounty and spoil of the conflict and war as the one who was engaged in the conflict. That's the way God's worked. He's put an equality in the body of Christ. And there are individuals who are praying. There are individuals who are giving. There are individuals who are doing mundane tasks to ensure it can take place. Who's got more relevance or more importance? They're all on equal ground with the one who is doing the actual evangelism, teaching, whatever it may be. And every member of the body of Christ has relevance. And what should characterize my life should be that people know me as a person of kindness and generosity, looking for ways I can be supportive and helpful, looking for ways I can be of benefit and blessing in the lives of other individuals. If I'm going to be like Christ in how I interact with you as a member of the body of Christ or people outside of Christ, then I need to be an individual that in all of my God-given abilities seeks to be an individual that enables others to be and do what God called them to do. Isn't that how God works? What has he given to us now to enable us to function as we should? He said to the original apostles, it's to your benefit I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter, helper, a paraclete, one called alongside, one who comes along to encourage, to strengthen, to enable the people of God to do their tasks. And what we need to be in the body of Christ is Barnabas's. The name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. It was the nickname given to him in the early church by the apostles. He had a great first name, even though we don't know him by that. His name was Joseph. But this man had a life that was so characterized by encouraging, being a positive influence, by helping, by enabling God's people that he was given by the apostles the nickname Son of Encouragement, and that should be true of every one of us. While you have opportunity, if I'm involved in the work of service, I'm to be doing good to all men, 
and especially those of the household of faith. Now, what needs to be my demeanor, my posture, be characteristic of me while I do it? Three times in Ephesians 4, the apostle alludes to it. Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another. How? In love. If you go down into um, verse 15, we're to be speaking the truth. How? In love. And if I go into verse 16, from whom, that is even Christ, from him, the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. How? In love. What needs to be the posture, the demeanor, the characteristic of God's people is the characteristic of agape love of where I have made the determined decision that the needs of others are more important than my own. And by God's grace, whatever I can and have the ability to do, I will do for their spiritual well-being and growth in Christ. How do we tie that together? Well, notice Peter said it like this. Guess what covers a multitude of sin? Love. Paul said it like this. You're zealous for spiritual gifts. And you're an individual that is more concerned about what your function in the body of Christ. I want to show you the more excellent way. Because faith is important. Hope is important. But the greatest of these is what? 1 Corinthians 13, love. And love doesn't harbor an offense. Love doesn't seek its own, I'm me, I'm the one that's important. It all revolves around me. No. Love works to bring benefit into the lives of others, regardless of what it costs me. And you know, that's what really identifies us as being part of this spiritual entity, this great, marvelous reality of the body of Christ that we call the church. Jesus said, I give a new commandment to you, John 13. And what is that commandment? That you love one another. What's the standard? Even as I have loved you, unconditionally, sacrificially, with genuine forgiveness and acceptance. New commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And by this, you want to witness to the world of how wonderful it is to be a Christian and that God does something in the lives of his people that is not just religious ideas. If you want to be an individual that encourages brothers and sisters in Christ and to where the body is being edified and built up, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Human body, somewhere around 70 trillion individual cells. The spiritual body, 
maybe even more than that. And in God's design, the physical body doesn't have to think about how do I make that cell do what it ought to do. It's in the DNA. And in the same way in the spiritual body, the eye doesn't have to think, how is it I can see? What steps do I need to do to become something that perceives what's going on around me? The foot doesn't have to think about how is it I need to walk? The hand doesn't think about how can I have dexterity and fine motor skills. Just like the human body works naturally unless disease enters into it, so it is in the body of Christ. And if we are doing the work of ministry and as individual members building up the body of Christ, our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. And the more Christ-like we are, the more the people of the world will say, this biblical Christianity is something different than what all the other religions are like. Because by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, even as I have loved you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your truth and how I pray that you would take your word and that your spirit would transform us by it, and that you would be glorified in your church, in our individual lives, and that others may see the beauty of Christ resting upon us, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.